This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, you know, every so often I have the opportunity to talk about sports on this show, and so I would like to take that opportunity now that there are no sports. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this, is, this is a very interesting time in my life. For the last... Since I've been like 12 or 13 years, a lot of my life has revolved around sports. And for the last 20 or 30 years, sports are sort of the soundtrack to my life. It's, you know, there's always a game on in the background somewhere, whether it's a, you know, a baseball game or radio broadcast or, you know, the TV that I'm not really watching. We're doing other things, but there's a game on and there are no games on and it got me thinking about the amount of time that lots of people, myself included, spend watching sports. And I've limited mine over the course of the last few years, but I wonder, I don't want to go into this too quickly, but we're going to talk about cause and effect today. So that's, that's the not smooth transition. I like to watch sports, so there is a result from that. So that's a cause and effect type thing. It What's takes... the result? What's the result? Well, the, re- the result is that I wind up wasting a lot of time worrying about things and applying attention, applying attention and importance to things that aren't important as a way of distracting myself from other things that are more important. And, you know, when things are kind of going to hell in a handbasket, it's easy to look for distractions. And it's really nice, kind of, when when things are not going well to have those distractions. But when things are going really well, to just continue to allow yourself to be distracted like that instead of doing more of the stuff that's allowing things to go really well, is a that's a bad effect. And so, you know, we were talking about doing cause and effect, and it just got me to thinking about a result of not being able to watch sports is it's just sort of opened my mind up a little bit to what I have missed over the course of the last 30 years because of my obsession with sports. We could do a whole show of me just giving my opinions on the subject Related to what you're just saying, I have spent a lot of time thinking about this, uh, not specifically related to sports, but about the time that gets wasted and what it means in our lives. And uh, it has nothing to do with what this show is all about. But I could go on for so long of like go off on topics that people would just be like, that's how her brain works. I see. (laughs) on this very subject. So I get what you're saying. I totally do. Uh, Even though sports is not something that I personally, it does not consume much of my life at all. You know, I have a friend that I have lunch with every Tuesday 
and well, every Tuesday if we're both in town and everything is going well. And I've been doing this for 30 years. We met in college every Tuesday. And he's an interesting guy. I'm an interesting person. We share some life experiences. But inevitably, I will get back from lunch and Julie will say, what did you talk about? It's like, "Eh, sports. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, humans are fascinating. Our psychology, what, what makes us do what we do is fascinating to me. Well, what is the effect of that fascination? Oh, probably that I spend far too much time thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> instead of doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. But I think I think thinking about it uh, finds its way into a lot of my characters. That fascination with why people do what they do and how people think and what drives us, it, it helps in a way, I would think, to create realistic characters because even if the specific things that I've been thinking about are not what find their way into those characters inevitably some aspect of it does and it does cause me to think deeper on character motivation which is kind of interesting that I'm going to be the one who naturally segues because that actually is kind of close to what we're talking about today all right, so we're going to be talking a little bit about cause and effect, and then Taylor's going to be talking a little bit about chapter three of The Fulcrum, which is a chapter that she has been wrestling with for a while now, when time permits. So, you know, we're going to, the two topics do kind of dovetail together, but cause and effect is something that we discuss a lot, but not in detail. It's just, you'll talk about cause and effect when you'll when you're editing something, you'll look at something and, and you'll say, okay, that's, you know, we need to, this is cause and effect. And you, you'll put together some sort of a fix for it. And we talk about it in that respect, but we've never really taken a deeper dive into it. So first off, what, how does cause and effect come into play uh, with our writing and how does ignoring it uh, hurt our writing? Well, it comes into play because it mimics life and ignoring it makes everything feel contrived. So why why is it that for some people this is more of a problem than others? I don't know. Um, ever since we had that uh, conversation, I forget what episode it was, where we talked about how our minds work, where some people work in visuals, some people, um, you know, their their heads are full of actual dialogue. Um, it's, it's made me think a lot about how that actually probably influences so many of the decisions and choices we make and it affects how we see the world. It affects how we interact with the world. And I would imagine, uh, it affects maybe even imagination and possibly the ability to, um, conceptualize beyond, linear thinking. Um, I, and I don't know. I, I, I honestly do not have the answers on this, but I think for some people, being able to understand cause and effect on a bigger scale or a, a multidimensional scale is a lot easier than it is for others. And um, I'm not trying to jump the subject already, but the whole reason that uh, we wanted 
to also talk about this chapter that I'm working on is because as before the show started, as Steve was talking to me about the idea of cause and effect, it, it made me think about what I'm working on right now. And because I think in ideas and I don't think in words, one of the big struggles that I'm having with in this particular chapter is I can see so many avenues of cause and effect that it becomes almost noise and trying to winnow those down and exclude through the dialogue and explain different things and and make sure all the ideas are uh, logical and in order is it's, it's almost a sense of winnowing and trying to fight my way, bat my way through all this, uh, these cobwebs that are coming at me visually to try and find the cause and effects that actually matter to the story and, and figuring out how to ignore them. So in my case, to ignore the ones that don't matter. So in my case, it's actually the opposite of your question of, you know, why do some people, you know, they're able to understand cause and effect better. And in my case, it's like, it's too much. And I'm trying to block out the many multi nodes and all the different potential connections to find the ones that actually lead us in the direction that we want in this story. Why? I don't know. I I don't know. And I don't even know how to explain how to do it because in my head, it just is. Well, since we have we have jumped the chasm, so let's just let's just um, share some background on what you're wrestling with 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 chapter three and how it all relates and and what what the particular issue that you're talking about is. Okay, so before before we started recording and, and we were just bouncing, Steve and I were just bouncing this around. I was a little bit concerned about spoilers, and then I was like, well, I can't spoil it. I can't spoil this story because I don't even know what happens in the story yet. So- yes, which absolutely cracked me up. <laughs> <laughs> she's on chapter three. She's worried about spoilers, and she has no idea where it goes from here. <laughs> so for those of you who are patrons, you've already read earlier drafts of far, far beyond where I am right now. But I've I've gone back to the beginning because I, I, there's just – I was rushed and trying to just force it and originally and it it was all during a mess and my brain broke and blah, blah. And I was like, okay, I got to go back to this and really try and get it right. So in the third chapter of this book, it is the first and in a way the last time that Monroe is going to interact with Bradford and Logan for a very, very long time. And we know from this point in the story, third chapter, that Monroe is essentially being blackmailed to do a job that she doesn't want to do. And she knows that when it's over, they're going to kill her. And she knows that if she doesn't do it, they're going to kill her because this is a very, very powerful entity that she's up you know, dealing with. And she knows that they're lying to her about why they want her to do what they want her to do. And Bradford wants them to run. That's his option. And Monroe is not going to run. And she's going to do what they want her to do. And there's this effort that I've been going through that 
I've written and rewritten the conversations that they're having so many times because something is not right. Something is missing. Something's falling flat. And I know that this is a key, key chapter for the rest of the book to follow. Because what we're establishing here are motivations, why the characters are making the decisions that they're making. And we may not know everything about Monroe and her plan, but we have to know that she has one. And it took me so long before I finally understood what her reason is for doing this. And we've talked before so many times about how just because a plot requires you to do something or requires a character to do something, that's not enough. The character themselves has to have a reason. Now, in this setup to this chapter, this is not the first time someone has used people Monroe loves as a way to get her to do what they want. And the thing is, these people know that. They know exactly what happened the last time somebody tried to bully her into doing something. And she basically left a trail of bodies across Europe and then went on a five-month hunt to find somebody who she only knew by their face in the last place she saw them until she killed him. That's not spoilers if you've read the series. Um, So they know all of that. And they're still going to make her do this. And so that's why she knows they're going to kill her. Because if you know who I am and you know what I can do, that's your only option. Because there, this will never be over because I'm not going to let you get away with it. That's the way that she thinks and they know that. So that's why she knows that they're going to kill her. And she knows that they know she knows they're going to kill her. So it's a psychological game that's being set up between them and her. And in all of that, is protecting the people that she loves enough to make her do this? And at first, and this is why it wasn't working, is because that was the only reason she was doing it, is I'm not going to let the people that I love get hurt because of me again. That's what I can't tolerate. You know, we all have the things that we can't tolerate that force our decisions, and that's what I can't tolerate, and I'm not going to tolerate more people suffering because of me. And that was the the direction that it was, the whole foundation, the, the cause and effect that this thing was being built on. And it, in my heart, in my gut, I knew this wasn't enough. And because I think in concepts, and I don't think in words, Sometimes the only way for me to understand what's really going on in a character's head is to write it out. Because as I write, then I actually can hear the words as I'm typing. But sometimes those words are wrong. Like, no, that's not it. Delete, delete, delete. Let's have this conversation again. And then the character's got to go through the whole thing again. Nope, that's not right. Delete, delete, delete. And it's, it's taken me a while of this to finally figure out what it really is, what's really going on in Monroe's head that's making her make this decision. I finally got it. And I'm so excited about getting it. And now comes the challenge of finding a way to integrate that into the story so that it it communicates properly. And the reason that Monroe does this, and it's a it's the cause and effect that changes everything. It 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 completely changes the tenor of 
everything that happens is she's not a sacrificial lamb. Monroe deals in information. That is her specialty. That is her her magic. And she knows that they're lying, that nobody would introduce the level of risk that she brings to the table, to their enterprise, to go after somebody who stole a billion dollars out of, you know, there was a a hacking heist. She knows a billion dollars is not a lot of money when it comes to these multinational banks. I mean, they get fined that in a in a, you know, a court case for not revealing the right, you know, for for doing something they weren't supposed to do. So she has no doubt that there's something that's been stolen, but it wasn't that. And if she can figure out what it was and find that out for herself, that will give her the upper hand and change everything. Because if there's something that somebody has stolen, that terrifies these guys enough to bring her in to try and get it back, that's worth having. So in all of her thinking and strategizing up to this point, she's realized that if she does this, they'll kill her. If she runs, they kill her. The people around her will suffer. Every different option that she's explored all brings them back to the same place of her dead and these guys winning, and she wants to win. But she's an informationist. And if she can use her skill set, she can go along and go with this instead of running. Like running's going to see her dead eventually one way or the other. But if she can play their game, even knowing that they know she's just playing and that she's going to be looking for an opening and that this psychology back and forth is going to be going on, they're going to, they know that she's going to be looking for an out. But if she can play that game and go forward, that's her one chance at figuring out what this is and turning the tide on them. That is her cause that creates the effect that puts a whole different level and a different weight to the exact same things that follow because now she actually has a goal. And it's not just to survive, it's to find the thing. So... That is a perfect example of what cause and effect is and how it can affect your writing. That I cannot wait to read this. <laughs> That's what I was just thinking. It's like, when are you going to post this? When, I, when, I, can't, when, when? I, I can't wait to read it either. I, I still got to write it. You know, like I just finally figured it out. But, but now I have the concept. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I have the words. It doesn't mean I have the words on the page. And so finding a way to weave that in, weave it into dialogue, weave it into all the other little, the information things, the scene setting, the stage setting things that need to be done. This is not going, this, is, this chapter has taken a long time to work on. It's going to continue to take a long time to work on. But my patrons have bought me that time, and I am so freaking grateful because it means I can do it right, and I can I can write the kind of story that I want to write without just rushing it through. If I was under contract right now, I would not have the time to think this through. I would be just racing to, to get to the, through the story, and I'd have to go with the basic cause, which is, you know, I'm not going to let people suffer because of me anymore. And that's okay. You know, it's not bad, but I think we've seen that before, not just here, but before, before, and lots of stories, you know, and, and, and I've talked on this 
the show before in, in previous episodes about what it is that makes the stories really click and really work. And it's finding that deeper sense of drive for the character beyond just the, the surface, right? Going deeper. And that's what this is. But to be able to find that it takes time and create like creativity, that, that, that freedom, that space to breathe and really think about it, which I would never be able to do if I was under contract. So Thank you, everybody, for being patient with me as I work on this. But it allows me a chance to really write what I want to write, to write the the depth that I want to write. And knock on wood, it actually turns out good. I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> this is all just like, okay, but I promised I was going to do it, so I'm doing it. Okay. Everyone that thinks it's going to turn out well, raise your hand. I have my no, hand up. <laughs> no, no, no. No pressure, please, guys. No, don't do that to me. It's horrible. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean that—that that is it. We have we have covered the topic. You veered perfectly into chapter three, and so that's it for for cause and effect. We thank you guys so much for listening, and we will be back in your ear again next Tuesday. See you guys next week.